From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk, TNT. Hello and welcome to today's News Talk. This is indeed the Sonia Poulton Show on Tuesday, January the 23rd, 2024. How are you all today? Please keep continuing to send me your emails. In fact, on any platform you can find me, send me a message and uh, I love receiving them. I absolutely do. I want to check how everybody is in the comments today. I didn't get a great deal of time to speak to everybody yesterday. What's up with my time? Ping, says Shin. It started Shin, says Chris. Everyone's a terrorist who stands up in uh, Run West. Yay, Sonia, says Chris. Morning. Um, what's up? Oh, no, I've already read that, haven't I? Got double figures yesterday here in zombie South London. What's going on in South London, Maz? Uh, and this morning, pretty good or normal. Is this to do with the weather? Um, I wanted to know if anybody is aware of the controversy that is brewing on X, formerly Twitter, but who calls it X, eh? Um, to do with our very first guest on the Sonia Poulton show last week, Bob Moran. Are you aware of this in the comments? Now, I'm not always going to comment on Twitter controversies because sometimes they're so insular, but I think this is one that is capable of breaking out into the wider world and may even go legal. So, as I say, it involves our very first guest, Bob Moran, cartoonist Bob Moran, who became famous, really, for drawing emotive and controversial cartoons that brilliantly, graphically and often brutally capture the world we are living in. Well, his latest cartoon has riled people up proper. And many people are, well, it's absolutely divided people. There are people who are saying that this is it is outright anti-Semitic, it is blood libel. Let me explain it to you. The cartoon depicts Benjamin Netanyahu sitting at a table showing what remains of dead children. There's US President Joe Biden. He's a waiter. He's pouring blood rather than a drink for um, Netanyahu. Then there is Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He's carrying a, a covered plate with a child's hand dangling in the air. The artwork includes the word kosher, which obviously is a Hebrew term for halal or permissible food. And there's been an absolute outrage on Twitter about it. Um, it's been trending. There have been spaces held about it. And of course, this is to do with the Gazan deaths that have occurred. And let's look at some of the figures. As of 22nd of January, over 26,000 people have been killed, which includes over 25,000 Palestinians, 1,410 Israelis. These are the official figures. Of course, they're changing daily. And uh, so Bob has done this cartoon to do what all political cartoonists do, and that is, well, evoke all manner of things, emotion, anger, outrage, awareness, you name it. And it, it has raised such anger that even people who had stepped forward to be part of the freedom movement during the COVID era have been so outraged that one in particular has reported him to the Metropolitan Police and the CPS. And it, I mean, it's just such anger. I want to see what you're saying in the comments about this. Are you aware of this? 
yes. Oh, Chris says, yes, Bob is a hero. And the people who scream about his latest cartoon are strangely silent on what Israel is doing to children. Peter Folder says, Bob just highlights the harsh reality of the situation. And uh, Val Silla says, can a cartoonist fall in the same category as comedians? Some can take a joke and others can't. Well, I think it's really interesting that some of the people who were screaming and actually made money from the whole COVID lockdown by um, writing books and holding talks have now become some of Bob's harshest critics. And some of the language is really interesting. It's Bob, you disappoint me. And, uh, oh, let me just read some of this. Uh, Shug says, Bob has certainly released the Kraken, so to speak. And uh, Mogden says, Laura Dodsworth, who was the writer of the book, who has uh, reported Bob to the Met and the CPS, says Laura Dodsworth and Julia Hartley Brewer, a British broadcaster, showing their true colours and support for genocide. I don't know about that, but... Uh, Freedom of speech, I say, freedom of speech. And I think the irony, Mogden, is Julia Hartley Brewer was screaming about the Charlie Hebdo and saying it should be all over the front pages. But suddenly, when it's something to do with Israel, there appears to be an issue. This looks like hypocrisy and double standards to me. I'd love to know what you think. We are going to take a very short break and we will be back with Gemma Cooper. Don't go away. Russia, gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. Thank you for joining us this morning. As always, everybody, Gemma Cooper. How are you, Gemma? Yeah, yeah, very good. And very interesting. I hadn't uh, seen the Bob Moran uh, cartoon and I hadn't seen the the Twitter Ferrari over it. Um, and I certainly wasn't aware that Laura Dodsworth had reported him to the Met. For, for creating a piece of art. I mean, it, it has done what art is supposed to do, and that is create debate, to reflect issues in society. You know, Bob Moran, with with it, obviously it's going to be now anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, that's going to be the allegation thrown at him. But this is 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 representative of the whole of society at the moment, where you where you know, if you say one thing, you're anti-Semitic, or if you stand up for uh Palestine, or if you pro-Israel, all of it is such a tinderbox. Um, so he's not he's reflecting not creating um uh, this is oh it's a really uh, a hot potato art has always been good art does this this is what good art does right. it reflects it creates debate it, it brings in all of these thorny issues that 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 society is discussing he hasn't he hasn't it suddenly invented what's in that cartoon out of nowhere. We could see the cartoon on the screen there while you were talking, Sonia. He hasn't invented those issues. Those issues are what's happening in the world. That's that's what he has done. He's reflected it back. I mean, it's very near the knuckle, I will say. You know, it's a very emotive piece of work. I was like, whoa. Um, and you can tell the emotion that's gone behind it. But that he hasn't single-handedly created those, those themes out of thin air. That is what's happening in the world right now as we speak. Uh, and that debate is ongoing. I mean, the debate is also ongoing now. So somebody has reported him to the Lord Dodsworth, who, who you know, you write a book called State of Fear and then you go running right. to the police because you don't like something that you've seen. Well, right. you know, people's true, people's true colours are coming out. But this is now an extension of the debate, an extension of the issues that the whole Middle Eastern situation is throwing up. Um, so it, it's just it's creating its own narrative as it goes along. Um Fair play to him. He would have known. He would have. He won't. He's not a stupid man. I've met Bob Moran. He's highly, highly sensitive and intelligent. And um, 
you know, he's he's been through the mill over the last four years, has to have a lot of us, um, and lost his career and has gone on to flourish by being his true self. So he would have known it, what 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 a, what a kind of reaction this was likely to garner. But that is art. It is art. That's true art, absolutely. I think everybody is most shocked by the responses, by the so-called freedom fighters. As you say, you write a book called State of Fear. And, I, I, you know, Laura has talked extensively about how you need to have your own mind, otherwise other people will fill it for you. And uh, I, I, think that, I think it is the response from people like Constantine Kissin, Laura Dodsworth, Julia Hartley Brewer, all people who were... A, supposedly talking out about our freedoms being restricted during COVID and about the censorship that existed around COVID. And suddenly they're running to the authorities. And I, so, yeah, I think this is going to rattle on. I do think this is going to go way beyond X, Gemma. So, uh, which is why I want to talk about it, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that some of the other presenters will be discussing it today. So yeah, I agree with you. This is art and this is what it should do in many respects. So Gemma, what are you here to talk with us about today? Well, it's funny, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the, Laura wrote the book State of Fear as a response to what happened. You know, we're coming up to the four year anniversary, aren't we? March 2020. We're in 2024 now. Um, but it's it's what's fast becoming the new normal now, as opposed to what we were told had to be the new normal a few years ago. And that is that is something I haven't really uh, talked about a great deal since I joined TNT. It's the weather. Now, we briefly we touched on this yesterday uh, where you were talking about Storm Isha and saying, you know, is this more fear porn? And we've got another storm on the way today, Storm Jocelyn. And um, I've taken a look at some of the language around these storms. And what is unusual is that for, for a start, I mean, I was a weather presenter for quite a few years, uh, weather and a news presenter. And so I followed the weather very closely and weather stories what is interesting is this is the 10th storm jocelyn that's on the way today to batter the uk and you know parts of the uk have been battered uh, you know parts of the north had power cuts northern ireland had power cuts and two people have died um so you know we're not to take this lightly but that's you know that storms happen in the uk at this time of year but the relentless tirade of storms that we're having is unusual. And I have referred to this before on TNT because I was thinking in my entire career as a presenter, I hadn't seen so many in such a short space of time. Um, and I'll get to why I'm raising that in just a second. But it's the language now surrounding the storms, like you said yesterday about, you know, don't sleep near a window, don't sleep in a room with a chimney. It's like now your home is fast becoming a death trap uh, because of the weather. Um, you know, don't venture out. You're flooding. Oh, we've got flooding. That's because our infrastructure is now terrible in this country and we the roads are not fit for purpose. The trains aren't fit for purpose. Nothing in our infrastructure is fit for purpose because no money is being spent on public services. It's all going to fund wars that we don't want. Um, that's where our money is going. But that's not what's looked at. Instead, it's like fear and death and become like children and do what the nanny state says instead of looking at the reasons why our country can't cope with bad weather. And again, it's putting us back into the state of fear. And, and the headlines we're seeing around the weather now are expect this to become the new normal, expect this to happen all the time. This is the new normal. I've even seen the words the new normal um, with regards to the Royal Meteorological Society's warning now that this is what we can expect. Now, now, I put my tinfoil hat on yesterday, didn't I, with regard to the uh, British Heart Foundation's uh, release of the figures about how we're in the worst heart care crisis ever. Well, we all know the reason why that is. But so I'm putting my tinfoil hat on with this. And I'm wondering, uh, because the weather is the ultimate thing that no, you can't control the weather, right? You think you can't control the weather. 
I'm wondering if the weather is being controlled here. We're having all of these relentless storms so that we're constantly worried about what's going to happen. We're constantly in a state of fear and we're constantly thinking, oh my goodness me, oh my goodness me, heightened, infantilized, waiting for the state to tell us what to do. And I wonder if that's the reason we're getting all these storms, because then, of course, we'll get, well, it's because of climate change. So be afraid, be very afraid. And I just wonder if it's because they couldn't get us with the scamdemic. We saw through the scamdemic, but the weather is the thing that you just... You know, nobody really knows what's going to happen when you get these headlines. Storms on the way, storms on the way. Stay at home, stay at home, protect the protect the roads. I just wonder, are they are they being engineered? You know, I'm just going to throw it out for discussion. I've, I've kind of touched on it here before at TNT. You know, we all know that the weather can be engineered. We know that. Are these ones deliberate because to keep us in this heightened state all of the time, all of the time? Ten storms since September is unusual. And I wonder now if it's deliberate to keep us all terrified. There's my two pennies for the day, Sonia. Ten storms since September? Yep, ten storms since September. I don't know if you saw my guest Dan Stevens on Friday, Gemma. Dan Stevens was the, a whistleblower for the sports doping um, scandal and testified to Parliament and uh, the committee about it. Well, Dan has been observing, greatly observing, he's a former cyclist, greatly observing the weather, weather and he is absolutely convinced that COVID in part, obviously we know that it was used for multiple agendas, but COVID in part was used to, disgui to disguise an extensive geoengineering program that was taking place. I, I don't, I, I know you think because of the world that you and I have grown up in, this sort of legacy media world to a certain degree where things are poo-pooed about, you know, outside thinking. I don't think it's as outrageous as it may appear what you're saying. I think that there is every reason to believe there is a validity that our weather is being engineered. Why not? You know, you're absolutely right. And again, it's all about this moving towards 2030, sustainable development. You know, it is about net zero. It is about creating a climate change emergency. But I, I, I do agree with you. This hyperbole that we, we've been receiving around these storms is extremely distressing for people who are unaware. You're, and you're absolutely right. It's not to undermine the fact that some people do get injured, but the weather is supposed to be unpredictable. Right. These things do happen. And are, are we being terrorized again to keep us in that state of fear? I think this is a very good point you raise. Well, yeah, I mean, in my career, I did present the weather for a long time and I had I never have seen this type of language. Uh, around storms, never. And I don't remember you remember the the great storm of 1987, you know, when one of our weather presenters here said, oh, there's no hurricane on the way. He's technically correct on that, that you don't get hurricanes in this part of the world because of the weather conditions that aren't suitable for them. But we did have a massive, massive storm. But even then, and the language surrounding that, that, that was nothing like this, you know, don't sleep near a window. You know, that is like your mum telling you to go to bed, isn't it? Don't sleep near the right. window. You know, it really is keeping us in a childlike, fearful state. And as I say, I can speak on this with some authority because it used to be my old my old job at one point. I've never seen this type of language. I've never seen this type of reaction. And I went and had a look at the weather warnings that have been issued. And they're yellow weather warnings. Now, when I was a presenter, I was went to the Met Office to have some training. And they said, yellow warnings, yellow weather warnings, they're, they're just a kind of guidance system. It's when it's a red warning, you've got to worry. That is threat to life. We haven't had any red warnings with these with this Isha or um, the one that's on the way, Jocelyn. Uh, you know, and, in fact, most of them over the last few months, 
these 10 storms. We haven't had anywhere approaching red warnings, I think only once. Uh, but yet, we're, we're the, the, according to the mainstream and the meteorological society, it's red every day. Red, weather, red, don't do this, don't do that. So there is something going on here. And I did raise an eyebrow this morning when I thought I looked at some of these headlines, you know, storms are the new normal. Well, where have we heard that before? Absolutely. Freckle says there'll be a vax for storms soon. And on that note, we will see. Exactly. Right. And on that note, we'll see Gemma again tomorrow morning. Have a great day, Gemma. Thanks so much. Thank Take so care. Much. We'll be back shortly with Andrew Loney. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. <laughs> Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. I'm just going to do a little voice. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Welcome back to today's news talk. Gemma has got them going in the comments. Absolutely, they're talking about HARP and chemtrails and geoengineering, all of these things that we know is going on. And yet we're called Tim Four Hat Wearers for saying so. I am delighted to be joined today by historian and author Andrew Loney. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show on today's news talk. How are you doing? I'm very well. Lovely to be with you. But wonderful to have you with us. I'm absolutely delighted. Andrew has written a number of fantastic books. I have, I, I think I have all of your books now, Andrew, yes, actually. This, this one is about yeah. Starling. This one is about Mountbatten. Well, Andrew. Uh, uh, Guy Burgess. He was a spy uh, for Starling. Uh, absolutely. Sorry, my mistake. Um, Andrew is the incredible historian who managed to unearth details to do with the FBI and Mountbatten, which we will get into. But you're currently writing a book about Prince Andrew, aren't you? Yes, it's a joint biography of the Duke and Duchess of York, and I've been working on it a couple of years now. But it's taking time because uh, the last thing they want is to have them their lives investigated. They've been telling their friends not to talk to me. So it's taking a little bit longer than I expected. You've had a problem with getting access to royal files, haven't you? Tell us about that. Yes, it's a problem I've had really for, I suppose, almost a dozen years now. Um, one of the problems in this country, uh, Britain, is that files in the royal family are basically locked until 105 years after their birth. So, for example, for the Duke of York, we won't be able to see this till 2065, when uh, I certainly won't be around. Uh, and they use the Freedom Information Act. There's a dispensation there, an exemption they can use. So any communications with the royal family are exempt from FOI, even if there's a very strong public interest uh, defence. And clearly there is with someone like Prince Andrew, because for years he was a trade envoy, paid for by taxpayers, sent to promote British trade. But what I'm discovering was actually promoting his own interests rather than those of the country. Uh, and I'm trying to find out who was on these trips through FOI requests, uh, and um, no one is telling me. The, the, um, the Trade Department claim they have nothing, the Foreign Office claim they have nothing, uh, or they have so much stuff that they can't release it. So it is a real struggle uh, to try and get this sort of information. There's a lot of myths around Prince Andrew that aren't entirely clear. And one of them, of course, is to do with Virginia Giffray, which is uh, obviously to do with Jeffrey Epstein. Do you feel that we learned anything new from the rec recent Epstein file dumps, Andrew? Well, I think, yes, the depositions were interesting because it, it, we had some other witnesses come forward. I mean, it wasn't just relying entirely on Virginia Giffray, who, as you say, is can be a slightly discredited witness. Some of the things she said have proved not to be true. Um, but, you know, other things have proved to be true, and I, I certainly believe her. Uh, but yes, we have other people uh, saying that they saw him take part in orgies. Um, uh, we've clearly got the confirmation of Joanna Schoberg, and many of these statements made, um, where we get more detail than we've had in the past. And I think, you know, these are legal depositions. These are not people speaking to the press or selling their story to the papers. Uh, these are people talking to lawyers on oath. And I think it does look pretty damning for him. I mean, they said that he was terrified about what, what might come out. Uh, his reputation, I think, is at a nadir at the moment. And I think the worry for the royal family, indeed for him, is to wonder what else is likely to come out. You know, he only he knows what he did. Uh, and I'm not sure he's been entirely honest with his family or indeed anyone else about 
his involvement. Time and time again, he's been caught lying. I mean, he was caught lying in the Newsnight interview, uh, and I found that many of the statements he's made in the past just don't stack up when you investigate them. In your research, have you found that there is one rule for them and one rule for us? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, I've got a piece in The Times today in London talking about the sealing of royal wills. Uh, and, you know, for all everyone, our wills are made public. Uh, and But for the royals, they manage to seal them. And even the most obscure royals uh, have wills that are sealed and we don't know what's in them. And what they tend to do is they can pass on wealth really without any scrutiny whatsoever. These are gifts that are given to them that um, they pass on jewellery. Uh, and I think, you know, we are, they are paid by the public purse. We pay for their security. Uh, we give them quite large sums of money uh, to conduct their affairs. And we expect them to do that on our behalf, not to, to line their own pockets. So, um, yes, I mean, there is a lot of secrecy around. And I think there is a big campaign for more information to be released about their wealth, more transparency about how they've earned it. Uh, too many of them are using their royal position to uh, act as brand ambassadors. This book is also about uh, Prince Andrew's wife, uh, Sarah Ferguson, and she's a classic example who have, who have used her, her, her royal position to, to make a large amount of money. Uh, and I think that's wrong. That brings the, the monarchy into disrepute. One of the arguments for, the, for keeping things secret is to maintain the dignity of the crown. But the dignity of the crown is maintained by them behaving well, not by hiding what they, mischief they get up to. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with you. We are going to go to the news headlines. Stay right there, Andrew. There's so much more I want to discuss with you about this. This is today's news talk, and this is the brilliant historian Andrew Loney. Be right back. TNT Radio News. News break. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tensions are building in the US, where a battle over border security is brewing between Texas and the federal government. Trump has pledged to seal the US-Mexico border if re-elected as president. The US and the UK have carried out another wave of airstrikes against Iranian-backed terrorists in the Middle East. And Russia's foreign minister has hit out at the West for arming Ukraine with cluster bombs and depleted uranium shells that have been used against civilians. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. Welcome back to Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. I am joined by historian and author Andrew Loney. Andrew, I think one of the curious things is I know for a fact that you support the idea of royalty, a royal institution, and yet so much of your work is really shedding deeply unfavourable light on them. Are you sure you're not some secret squirrel working to bring them down? No, not at all. I, I'm trying to, 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 to keep them going. I mean, I think monarchy is the least worst option. I'm a great believer in, is it is an institution. I think that many of the members of our family do a very good job, but they're let down by some of their some of the relations, which uh, uh, my last book, The Duke of Windsor, and the present book on The Duke of York are two classic examples. 
Uh, and I don't think they should be given a free pass just because they're royals. I think also we've had a tradition of basically very deferential royal biography. And as historians, we have to go where the evidence takes us. And if that uh, uncovers some pretty embarrassing elements to, to royal history, that's good. I mean, they've been shaping the narrative for many years. Now it's time for us to, to rescue our history and to tell the truth of what really happened. Uh, and I'm afraid a lot of them are rogues, but rogues make much more interesting subjects than, than goody goodies. Indeed, indeed. So do you think that given everything that you know about Prince Andrew, it would at least have warranted a police investigation by the Metropolitan Police? Well, the police have said that they have investigated him, have investigated some of the allegations made against him and found no evidence, but they've not gone public on actually what they've done. I mean, they hide behind an FOI exemption on law enforcement. So it's very difficult to tell what was done, but I'm sure it was just shut down as every other story about the royals that's unfortunate tends to be shut down by, by those in power. Uh, we've got to remember that um, very close links between the palace and uh, the police, uh, and you know clearly all the police protection officers would have known exactly what he was up to, it was just a matter of interviewing them. But as one of them said to me, um, it's you know that your job's at stake if you actually tell the royals what's going on. I mean, our job is to protect them, not to, to police them, their activities. But yes, I mean, there are a lot of uh, unanswered questions uh, about Andrew. I think one of the most worrying is that the logs for the night that he is supposed to have met Geoffrey uh, have been destroyed. These are the logs at Buckingham Palace that were requested by one of the police protection officers. Now, this would show whether he stayed at Buckingham Palace that night or he was at Windsor, as he claimed. And the police officer I've talked to has said that uh, he knows he went back to Buckingham Palace. Uh, in fact, they were. It was. It caused a lot of problems because he was not expected to be at Buckingham Palace. But they've been destroyed. Now, why are these logs being destroyed? Uh, this is sort of evidence being destroyed the whole time as people begin to 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 move in on the story. And you mentioned uh, the story of Mountbatten, and it's exactly what I found there. I found in FBI files. Um, uh, 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 interviews that were done on Mountbatten by very senior uh, 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 people uh, saying that he had a predilection for young boys. This was 1943 when he became Southeast to the, the uh, Supreme Allied Commander of Southeast Asia. And uh, I asked for further copies of these files. They have re uh, references on them. And I was told, this was a few years ago, that the files had been destroyed. And when I asked when they'd been destroyed, I was told after I'd asked for them. Wow. So, I mean, this is um, destroying our history. I mean, th there are rules in Public Records Act about this, but it seems to be those in authority feel they can act with impunity to basically hover up our history when it proves to be embarrassing to people in power. This is shocking. It's really shocking. I know that you spent, what, is it half a million pound in trying to access what are actually public files? Yes, in the course of researching the Mountbatten book, I started researching in 2015, I asked for access to the personal diaries of and letters of Dickie and Edwina Mountbatten, the crucial material for a biographer quoted in other books, uh, and was told that they were closed. That since they'd been bought for £5 billion with public funds, as you say, to be open, this surprised me. Uh, the Information Commissioner, who is the regulator for information policy, agreed with me, said they should be uh, opened. Uh, and the Southampton University who had uh, bought them uh, then actually mounted an appeal. And I was lodged to that appeal. Appeal was against the Information Commissioner. The Information Commissioner uh, did nothing. Uh, and I was forced to, to carry the legal bill. 
which was, as you say, half a million pounds. And my um, hope was that uh, we would win this case uh, and I would be awarded my costs. And we did indeed win it. It was the biggest release ever of FOI material ever. Some 33,000 pages, 99.9% of the material was released. It proved to be entirely innocent. And the two most shocking things was that um, uh, the Southampton University had always known this material was open. They had actually manufactured a ministerial direction saying it was closed. And they'd actually vetted this material and knew it was entirely innocent. It was references to uh, Prince Philip coming for a ride or a cup of tea. So it was a ridiculous thing. But having paid five million for these uh, files, they then spent millions of public money trying to stop people seeing them. Uh, and I'm now, um, I thought that I would get my costs. You get your costs if there's been unreasonable behavior. I thought this was unreasonable behavior. We, in fact, had for the first time ever a public authority take, uh, charged with contempt of court by the public, by the information commissioner. But even that wasn't enough for the judiciary. Uh, and one of the distressing things was that we had a very good judge to start with, uh, but at the last minute, uh, a new judge was substituted who took a much more, uh, shall we say, a less generous view than the previous one. So it did, uh, in some ways, radicalise me as a historian that I've just felt that the establishment was not uh, behaving, you know, behaving by following the law uh, as I'd expected, and that we live in a pretty corrupt society. We forget uh, that Britain is a pretty corrupt society and that powerful people are able to protect their interests working together. I mean, the problem is, as you've said, so many of these historians are sort of by royal approval, aren't they? They're sycophantic. They 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 release something of a public relations line. What happens when you don't? Are are they after discrediting you? Yes, I mean, you. It's a lobby system, exactly like Parliament. And if you want access, you have to play ball. And there are plenty of historians who do. I mean, they're 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 fed material by the courtiers. It's always very complimentary. Uh, and, you know, they write very successful books, but it's only part of the story. But if uh, someone like me tries to, to work as a completely independent person outside the system, refuses to play that game and relies on interviews with, with people, um, a very wide range of people, not necessarily the courtiers, uh, and also uh, documents, then yes, I mean, you, you're briefed against, you're told that you don't write the truth, even though everything's footnoted, uh, they can make life very difficult, as indeed I found with this Mountbatten. I mean, it is quite outrageous, really, because surely we just all want the truth. But what would happen if you were allowed to, to say the sort of unexpurgated truth? What, what would really happen? It, I mean, royalty would still exist as an institution, wouldn't it? It's not suddenly going to fail. Do Oh, hello. I think I think we've lost Andrew, which is unfortunate because we were just getting into it. Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, everybody. This happens sometimes. You know what it's like when you go live. We're going to go to a short break. We will be back shortly on today's News Talk. That was Andrew Loney. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people 
and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who's supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Live from London with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. We did manage to get Andrew Loney back, only to say thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. We truly appreciate it. When can we look forward to seeing that Prince Andrew book? Hopefully this time next year it'll be out. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Andrew. I know you're off on another trip today. Andrew is indeed a jet setter, going off on his travels, uh, exploring everywhere and picking up some incredible research. Hope to see you very soon, Andrew. Take excellent care of yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Andrew Loney. Thank you. Thank you. And I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Kat Lindley. Good morning, Kat, or good afternoon or good evening. You're in Texas. It's the early hours of the morning. How are you? Good morning to you. It's 1 a.m., 1.30, 40. <laughs> well, we truly appreciate you joining us at this unearthly hour. It's wonderful to have you. You are, of course, uh, from the Global Health Project. You're a, a medical doctor yourself. You are dedicated to exposing corruption, improving health outcomes for patients and increasing accountability in public health and government. That's a bit of a mouthful. Break it down for us, Kat. Well, you and I have been talking about these things for the past several years. And uh, actually, I think if everyone is watching, even the news from Daily uh, Mail, they published uh, this talk by Dr. Tedros, where he says, disease X is coming. We don't know how, what it's going to be, but it's going to be 20 times deadlier. And it's just in time for pandemic uh, agreement, accord or treaty, and the amendments to the IHR. And then yesterday, I think your government actually said that UK underlines our commitment to agreement of a new pandemic accord and targeted amendments of the international health regulations, which together ensure our preparedness for future health threats with stronger prevention response while respecting national sovereignty. That's what your government says. But I would say the critics of the World Health Organization are actually saying that, yes, it will impact your national sovereignty, because according to one of the articles, and that's Article 18 of the amendments to the IHR, if Director General de declares a public health emergency of international concern in an area, he can decide to close the borders. He can decide for all of us to have digital passports, vaccines, treatments, medical examinations, and different procedures. So I would say that that impacts national sovereignty when you have the supranational 
organization, tell your countries you cannot take people in and, and people cannot leave the country. So there's a lot of misinformation. point of view. And, and it's very much appreciated, and that is exactly why you're here. But there's a lot of mis- and disinformation about this WHO pandemic treaty, isn't there? And I know from the article in the Daily Mail, Dr. Tedros says that, that we are already in danger of running the risk of missing a May deadline for the agreement. This is about ramping up pressure, isn't it? It is. It's actually interesting. They had a meeting yesterday. This executive board had a meeting and he says something along the lines, this is our time, we need to seize the moment. And I tweeted actually just a couple hours before I came on. And I said, in one sentence, he says, we need to seize the moment. And then last week, he was talking how we have disease X and we better prepare. And if we don't prepare, there's going to be consequences for our children and we need to protect our children. And I would say that with the record that WHO has, we definitely don't want them to have a future uh, when it comes to our children. We don't want them to make those decisions. Do you feel that this is what we've been, they've been gearing us towards since before COVID even? Because obviously in 2018, the WHO identified nine so-called priority diseases, including an as yet unknown disease X. And so do you feel that the whole kind of situation around COVID and all the draconian measures that took place, a lot of this was just preparing us for increasing restrictions on our freedom? Definitely. And what people don't realize, World Health Organization is a child of United Nations. And uh, if you really watch the directives, they are coming from United Nations and the Secretary General Gutierrez at the World Economic Forum last week spoke about global governance. We need global governance to issue the new world order. And he uses those words. And what they wanna accomplish with global governance, they're gonna actually dictate the way of life for our global citizens. So, you know, I was in Croatia in December testifying at the parliament regarding the World Health Organization, because in Europe, European Commission is actually negotiating these uh, contracts and documents for all the countries. So I challenged them to actually, first of all, take the negotiations back to their own countries and then really exit the European Commission in my opinion, because you have all these organizations that want us all to become one. They don't want us to be proud Americans or proud British citizens or proud Croatians, Italians. They don't like borders. They want this whole, you know, global one health, one world um, kind of uh, platform where they can dictate really the way of life for all of us. And then you have United Nations who wants to introduce CBDC. Now, if you couple this uh, central bank digital system with digital ID vaccine passport from WHO, you can introduce a social credit score that China already has. Those are things that are on our horizon if we simply don't say no. And then people will say, well, how do you say no? Because UK government just said yesterday they love this idea of the uh, pandemic treaty. It's going to have to be on, you know, individual level. And you guys have to call your MPs and make them, you know, call their offices, write them a letter and say, why are you going along with this? Do you really understand what's happening? I mean, you do have a deep understanding of this, don't you? I mean, it's communism largely, isn't it? And you have that yes. understanding. Tell us a little bit about your background in order for people to understand why you do so acutely understand this. I grew up in Yugoslavia. 
I was born in 73, and as a child, you know, Josip Rostito was the president of our communist uh, nation. Uh, and when he died in 80s, we had these 10 years of uh, uh, the country trying to figure out who they are. But what people don't realize in communism, you don't really have a voice. There is no individualism. The, you are child of the state. And that's what these organizations want. They want us to be citizens of the world. They don't want us to uh, retain our individuality, our individual freedoms. And it's extremely important for us to fight for this now while we still can so that our children actually do have a future. Let me have a look at some of the comments. Um, May Malibite says, calling them and writing letters would do sod all. They know exactly what they are doing. I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? Charlotte says, Dr. Cat is wonderful and the real deal. You are indeed. But that is the problem is people are rightly disenfranchised with our political representatives because they've gone along with this, haven't they? But have you seen a change at all, Cap? You're one of the better traveled uh, doctors you've 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 been in many places including here to england and you are traveling around you are meeting lots of people what differences have you seen in terms of politicians coming on side like genuinely and people being aware of how much is being done to us i really get the frustration but you know we have to take those roads that we can, we have and, you know, calling your MPs and representatives does matter. You know, they do come home to meet with their constituents. They do have to look at you in your face and, you know, and say why they're not doing it. That's one step. But you're right. You know, along these travels, we have, I have met politicians who actually are getting this. And we are seeing resistance. You know, the, if you really listen to the meeting yesterday of the executive board, they're a little bit frustrated. They're not that far along in these negotiations as they would like to be because there are countries that are pushing back. Slovakia's prime minister said he will not comply with it. Hungary is uh, signaling that they're not going to go along with this. You have some MEPs in European Commission actually, actually asking them questions. Have they even met according to their own constitution or have they kind of done certain uh, talks behind the closed doors that they shouldn't have. New Zealand has pushed back. Uh, I do firmly believe that some of the Eastern European countries are going to keep on pushing back. And, you know, that was really my challenge to in Croatian parliament, to my own um, people in Croatia. I spoke in Croatian and I said to them, we know what it is to live under someone. You know, in Dalmatia, we lived under Roman Empire. And that's why our dialect is very much Italian. Northern Croatia actually had to live under Hungarian or Austrian Empire. And then we lived under communism. So we understand what it is to live under someone and our people. And I was challenged all these people in other nations. Everyone just wants to be free, live a healthy, normal life, provide for our families and let our children have a better future. Hallelujah to that. Another area, Kat, that you've been absolutely involved in, obviously, is to do with the very serious problems, not just the sort of draconian measures, but the very serious problems attached to the experimental vaccine around COVID-19. And I know that your group and REACT-19, you're open, opening a vaccine injured clinic in Texas. Tell us about it. So Global COVID Summit is an organization of frontline physicians who have spoken up from the beginning. Some of them are Dr. Richard Urso, Brian Tyson, Ryan Cole, 
um, they actually stood on the steps of this, uh, uh, I think it was Supreme Court, uh, where yes. they actually spoke out early on about, uh, you know, th that we did have treatments and other things we can do. So uh, we've been working for a long time, speaking out and then kind of coupled with REACT-19, which is our largest vaccine injury group. And we're opening a vaccine injury clinic in Texas, where we're going to try to kind of create um, a mainstream um, gold standard type of a treatment. What people have to realize, there is really no cure. When people talk about like detox and things like that, you, there is no like specific thing that works for one person. Everyone is a little bit different. People are presenting with different kind of a set of symptoms. So, you know, we have certain things that we can start everyone on to see if they work, but then you kind of have to branch out. So our hope is to start creating gold standard of the treatment and even doing some trials to make sure that we're helping everyone as best as we can. And the best thing is the REACT-19 group is an integral part of it, and they will be able to tell us what things are working and how can we help the injured community. You have been in touch a great deal with the vaccine injured. And in fact, one particularly sad and profound um, letter on your website is from John from Bring the Noise podcast. And I think he first wrote to you, I'm not sure if it was 2020 or 2021. And his first email to you was something like, I think I'm dying. Do you remember that? I do. It was actually WhatsApp. I still have it. A right. Message. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that message changed changed my life really and john and i are still to this day great friends i was in scotland actually sometime last year i don't even remember when but i know you've Alex been on a went. world tour <laughs> <laughs> yeah they had you know the scotland uh, group had their first rally and it was really awesome to be there I mean, what can you tell us about those who are vaccine injured through AstraZeneca? Well, through any of the COVID jabs, really? I would say, you know, um, there are plenty of doctors who hear you and see you. And uh, there is definitely things that we can do to help along and uh, mitigate some symptoms, improve quality of life. Uh, for others, it's a big long journey for some you know they just do really well on the treatment the most important thing is to surround yourself with friends with a community that loves you and just know that we, we will never stop fighting what about some of the observations that you're making in, in including from other doctors. I mean, we have to be frank here. The The media was almost entirely complicit in the COVID lie, but so were doctors, Kat. How, I mean, how does that make you feel? It's been always a struggle to understand why uh, they are refusing to acknowledge what's happening. Because if you have a healthy person who's never had any issues and all of a sudden has a one vaccine or maybe two vaccines and, and all of a sudden has these different constellation of symptoms, you have to acknowledge that the vaccine could have been the issue. And then once you acknowledge that, you have to try to do everything you can to help them. Uh, what's happening, uh, a lot of them are being gaslighted and saying it's in your head, you know, you're depressed, you're anxious and stuff like that. The good thing is there is at least in the United States I hear it more and more 
where doctors are starting to see it and acknowledging it and actually treating it. They might not be in the public like I am speaking about it, but they'll reach out and ask, what do I do and things like that. So I think we, we have kind of opened up that space a little bit. And I'm okay with them, you know, not being out and speaking out if that's how they want to do it. As long as they're helping people, that's fine. You know, everyone has to find their own way to this. Um, we need more. The good thing is that at least United States boosters uh, intake is so low. No one is really getting boosters anymore. People are realizing that it's not helping. And uh, for those who have gotten boosters and never had any issues, please don't get any more because you could have a problem and there's no need for it. Your immune system really knows what to do. What can you tell us about your observations regarding the whole issue of died suddenly? Of course, people have always died suddenly, but there absolutely seems to be a, a, a significant increase of people and young people dying suddenly. What are your thoughts on that? I think the two populations that everyone should watch is military because those are young people who are at peak of their uh, performance, uh, peak of their health usually. And uh, so watching a military have issues and uh, different vaccine injuries is one side. The other one was the athletes, because again, these are young people who are at peak of their health, don't have medical issues and having them you know, drop while playing, that's not normal. You know, there is this hypertrophic cardiomyopathy where you can have enlarged um, heart and not know it, uh, but not to this extent. You know, th I've never seen anything like this. Actually, before COVID, I organized, I have, as you know, many children. So uh, I organized uh, one um, uh, 5013C group to come in and do screenings for the heart, for the kids, to make sure no one had this uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But that was very rare. And now seeing these athletes, you know, these events happening too much, people just have to ask their, you know, questions why. And and that's the thing, we must be questioning more. Uh, just a bloke who asks questions says, I hate to let Kat know, but my Slovak relatives have all bought into the tyranny 100%. They think I'm a bonkers tinfoil hat, tinfoil hatter. People think you're a bonkers tinfoil hatter, Kat. Actually, no. Uh, I think Good. because of who I am and my history of communism and stuff, when I speak, people tend to listen. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we love that. And that and that's important, obviously, because you come with the credibility of being a, a medical doctor. And that's really important. And that's even more brave because you had things to lose and you were still prepared to speak up, which I think is absolutely admirable. I want to personally thank you, Kat, not only for joining us today on today's News Talk and anybody out there, please feel free to comment on anything that we've talked about today or anything that you personally want to tell me about. You can contact me at Sonia Poulton at tntradio.live. This has been today's News Talk. This is the phenomenal Dr. Kat Lindley speaking to us from Texas at 1am in the morning. Kat, you can go to bed now. Not that it's my business whenever you choose to go to bed, but thank you so much for joining us. We do truly appreciate it and for you speaking out. We will be back again tomorrow on the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. For now, have a fantastic day. See you tomorrow. Take good care of yourself.